Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. The future isn't scary, not realizing its potential, however, could be. Just like on the recruiting trail, I've seen potential come in many forms as a coach. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. It is the last regularly scheduled edition of the Yahoo Sports Hockey Podcast. Justin Cuthbert and Julian McKenzie to wrap up the 2020-21 NHL season. Now, we'll pop on again at some point in the summer, but as far as weekly cadence goes, this is the wrap on the season. In many ways, the look ahead, because free agency is in the rear view, and we've got next season to talk about. So, Julian, before we get into it, what's going on, man? Uh, Since this is the last, uh, at least regularly scheduled uh, podcast with you and I, I figured I'd bring back Boobly. I mean, yes, you, sir. I probably should have coordinated and said, <laughs> hey, you know what? You also bring uh, your own can as well. But uh, it's okay. As long as we have one, as long as we're both drinking water, water is the gift of life, of course. So, yeah, otherwise, uh, this week has just been busy. A lot of news, a lot yeah. of news on the free agent front, a lot of news beyond the free agent front. And I can't wait until it all slows down and everyone's all like when's hockey coming back you know like this is the longest off season of my life but actually not off off season this is like the longest and weirdest like hockey season i feel i've experienced and we only played 56 games it's weird it's it's strange right because we're only like so free agency usually is july 1 and we were only four weeks delayed on free agency but it seems like it's months and months off schedule right like, it seems yeah. completely out of whack. And <clears throat> it's not necessarily that. I mean, it's going to be a shorter summer because it's about a month later. But it might actually work perfectly because I kind of get the itch around, you know, September 1. I'm like, okay, I'm ready to let's start working again because we've been off for too long. So I feel like that's not going to be as bad this year. It's going to be like a perfectly timed summer, even though we've missed a lot of it. But, uh, you know, everyone needs a break. It's been a bit of a grind. Everything's sort of been condensed here. And I think everyone's looking forward to a little decompression, but not until we break down free agency. And I thought we'd start this way with okay. just one deal or one transaction that we liked and one that we didn't. I'll let you start things off. Okay. So I thought about this and there's a deal that I really liked, but it happened just before the actual free agent period. It involved a player who might've been a free agent, but the team said, you know what? We're going to keep you. He may very well have been a free agent, but the team said, you know what? We have a chance at winning a round this year in the playoffs and actually going far, something we haven't done in like over a decade. And I'm obviously talking about the Florida Panthers here. 
and Sam Bennett, mm. and then signing him to a to like a four year deal worth like over four and almost four and a half million dollars. I liked what he did in the small sample size uh, with the Florida Panthers after being traded from Calgary to to Florida. And while some people are a little bit cautious, I mean, free agency and, and deals like that, you always have to, you know, there, there's always an element of risk to it. But I really like what he was able to do in Florida. And it seems as if he's enjoying himself there too. It's a team that's willing to give him a chance. But in terms of actual free agent deals, I'll say Philip Grubauer. So we were talking mm-hmm. about the Seattle Kraken and the way that they looked. And while I think goaltending was the easiest to predict, I actually kind of like them going out, getting Philip Grubauer and really kind of solidifying the tandem with him and, and Drieger. Like Chris Drieger, I mean, in his limited sample size in Florida, funny enough, I think he looked okay. And I don't think too many people would have complained if he ended up being a starter. And while some people will think that the team in front of Philip Grubauer kind of helped out with some of his numbers, I think Grubauer's shown enough to be a starter in this league. And I think if you're Seattle right now, you're not worried about your goaltending position at all. Why not? And I mean, the salary they've allotted to those two goaltenders still less than what Montreal is giving Gary Price, right? And maybe a few other places as well with what they've allotted to goaltenders. I think they've managed to get two solid netminders at decent prices and they don't have to worry about that position for the next little while. So I'm going to say a deal that I liked uh, from the actual free agent period was Philip Grubauer, but an asterisk next to Sam Bennett and the Florida Panthers. Am I allowed to say the, the deal I didn't like, or do you want to I'll, say that? We'll go back and forth. We'll go back and forth. Because cool. I, I want to cool. touch on Bennett a little bit, because you're right. A little bit of resistance to that one from a lot of people on Twitter, I guess. And that's kind of the silos that we're in. But, uh, I mean, I kind of see some parallels between the Panthers and the Boston Bruins. Because both of them have, like, really good core pieces uh, with, you know, Ekblad, McAvoy and then Barkov, Huberto, and of course, that top line with Boston. And they're all under pretty good prices. And what that allows is you can go out and get some luxuries deeper in your lineup. So we saw Florida go out and trade for Carter Verhage and Sam Bennett, and then reward them with contracts because they believe in them. You not only make those trades and spend assets for just a rental or for one year or one or two years, you actually get to keep them and have them in your lineup because you have that room. And we see a lot of teams that don't have that room. So I kind of see like the, not the same formula because obviously Boston's established, but same type of thing happening with Florida and Boston. I think that's going to be a really good thing for Florida because they get to keep solid players that they coveted. And I agree with you. I mean, Seattle, we talked about how we didn't really agree with what they did on the whole, but goaltending, we were still a little bit, you know, uh, confused by their their strategy because they could have had more goaltenders, it seemed, or at least higher quality goaltenders. But going out and getting Philip Grubauer, you know, I'm, I'm not convinced fully on him as like a dominant starter. He obviously played behind a brilliant defensive core. Um, and I, I don't know if it's going to be the exact same thing in Seattle and maybe he's just an average goaltender there and maybe that's fine because he's not getting paid an exorbitant amount, but he is getting paid quite a bit of money for the next, for the foreseeable future. The only thing I don't like about it is like, it seemed like they really gave the keys to Chris Drieger and he was ready to take on that role. And all of a sudden he's six years now behind a Vesna caliber or nominated goaltender. So I'm not sure how Chris Drieger is feeling about the signing, but I agree with you probably pretty good signings there. And we'll, we'll see what happens. My one deal that I liked was Freddie Anderson to Carolina. We talked about how Philip Grubauer was 
uh, a benefit or a beneficiary of his surroundings. The Carolina Hurricanes are historically a brilliant shot suppression team, and I think that could help a goaltender like Freddie Anderson, who is not necessarily the greatest athlete, but is fundamentally sound. So if he can just play in front of a proper defense, not saying you know the Leafs were in a proper defense, they grew into that a little bit, and they've gotten better over the course of his five years there. But I think that sort of stage could really help Freddie Anderson build back up because he's a bit of a broken asset right now. But two years at $4.5 million, he can be the guy there, and I think he will be insulated pretty well in Carolina. So I think Carolina, even though they didn't save that much money and there was a lot of pieces moving in and moving out and a lot of you know frenetic action with their crease, I think they did pretty well in getting Freddie Anderson, who I think is going to do well there. Go ahead with your the one that you didn't like. The one that I didn't like isn't that so the team that made the move they did it and they were obvious that I, I like them doing it but i don't like him leaving the team in order to sign this deal with tampa and i'm talking about Corey perry signing a two-year deal at one million dollars the reason why i don't like it i just think that the canadians for whatever reason they should have found a way to keep this guy i'm not saying hmm. throw like five years a term or over a million dollars but I was very surprised considering uh, the accord between those two sides. Corey Perry straight up told media, hey, I would love to come back to Montreal. Mark Bergman said, yeah, Corey Perry's a guy he would like to have back. It felt like a safe bet saying that these two sides would come together on a deal. And we're looking at this now, and he's joining the Tampa Bay Lightning. He's basically pulling a Marion Hossa. He was tired of losing the Stanley Cup two years in a row. to saying, damn it, I'm going to join the team that's winning all the time. Um, but so while I can't blame him for that, I think he was a pretty integral part to that fourth line during the playoffs. I'm also wondering about what it's going to mean for Yoel Armia, who re-upped for the next few years with the Montreal Canadiens, and he played his best hockey during the playoffs with Eric Stahl and Corey Perry. So I'm yeah. really curious what's that, what that's going to mean for him. Um, it's funny, too, is seeing a lot of Canadiens fans who entered the season thinking, oh, Corey Perry? I hate that guy. And then by the end of it, they're like, wow, I love Corey Perry. You mean he's mm-hmm. leaving? I, have, I had a friend of mine who like doesn't even follow hockey that much. He's just like, wow, you know, I, I'm really bummed about Corey Perry. I'm really going to miss that little word. Like, I don't know. I, I think that was just like an easy slam dunk for the Canadians to, to make during this offseason. And now they don't have that guy. So I don't like this deal. Uh, not because... Tampa wasn't smart and frugal with it. I mean, two years, fine. They got the term and, hey, you know what? Maybe the Canadians weren't willing to go beyond a year, but I think the Canadians shouldn't have let him go. So that's the deal I don't like. See, I love that deal and I love it for multiple reasons. I mean, I've been cl- I've been like a closet Corey Perry fan for like the last decade plus. I've always been a big fan of him, even though he seems to irk pretty much everyone or anybody and everyone. Um, but what I really like about Corey Perry is playoff Corey Perry. And if yeah. he's with the Tampa Bay Lightning for the next two years, we are guaranteed to see playoff Corey Perry. Not that we may not have with the Montreal Canadiens, but it is a guarantee that we see another couple acts from Corey Perry who just seems to make the playoffs and playoff series that much more fun. Um, in terms of deals I didn't like, Ryan gets laughed back to Anaheim. I mean, I get yeah. it. He lives there, grew up, you know, his family's, you know, established there. The roots are as strong as they possibly could be. Um, but I really wanted to see him on a good team. I really wanted to see if he had Corey Perry qualities where he could be a depth player on a Stanley Cup contending team. So the fact that he went back on one year, 4.5 million, 
a little disappointing, but I think this you can take a little solace in the fact that that deal does set him up to be traded before uh, at the deadline, where they can retain a couple million dollars for Ryan Getzlaff, who could maybe be a factor for a team that's trying to win a Stanley Cup. So I'm going to keep my fingers crossed uh, that Ryan Getzlaff does get dealt at some point next season to a team that could at least give him a Corey Perry type of stage. Okay, yeah. so... Oh, you can you can mention. I was just gonna say that, like, it would have been fun just to see Ryan Getzlaff join a team in the off season, and like maybe Alex Joe Thornton he joins like a a team that's trying to reach that next step as a playoff contender, and he would have helped out. But I think when you bring up the fact he could get dealt at the deadline, that could still make up for it, I guess. But it would have been fun too to see him in another uniform, maybe even join Corey Perry somewhere. There you go. I mean, I think he's got a lot to give still, honestly, but I think his his kind of final years here are being wasted with a team that's not competitive right now. And that's kind of, you know, that's that's always their call, what they want to do in that situation. But it, it pains me a little bit when we don't see the most out of a player that's reaching the end. Okay, so teams we need to talk about. I just wrote down, I think, about 10 or 11. Um, okay. And I've broken them up in... The bad, the good, and the question marks. I'll let you choose your own adventure here. Which which uh, <laughs> subcategory do you want to go with first? Um. Okay, I have the list of teams in front of me, and I'm literally just scrolling up and down and blindly just, I'm going to cover my eyes and swing the finger around, and I'm going <laughs> to point at whatever team, and I'm going to open my eyes. What do we got? Edmonton. Edmonton. Okay, so Edmonton. Let's, let's, question marks, I guess. let's go with the question marks. So I got s- five teams in terms of question marks where it's, I mean, I wrote down for one of them that my head's spinning. And with all these to a certain degree, I'm not really understanding exactly what they're trying to do. But Edmonton, very busy. Added Zach Hyman, traded for Warren Fogle. Uh, they got Derek Ryan as well today. And they got Cody Cece on the back end. They lose Ethan Bear. And they managed to keep Tyson Berry. So I think the one question is, because they've went with a 2019 Toronto Maple Leaf strategy, which is to fill your right side with Tyson Berry and Cody Cece, and we know how that worked out. How is their defense going to hold up? I I don't know. I don't know. And this is a team that now has Duncan Keith at the age of 36 or 37. Uh, yeah. I, I, I don't know. It, it might be 38. Yeah, like and in terms like Ethan Bear was probably their most promising defenseman on in their blue co- in their blue line and he's I mean you could debate it but still it's just like a weird mm-hmm. I don't know. I I have I don't know what to make of it. I don't necessarily think it could be for the better. I know Tyson Berry's stats were good, but not not a lot of people seem to want to prop him up or give him that respect after last year. I mean, when you're playing with Connor McDavid as we were alluding to on zone time, you'll you'll get points. Um, mm-hmm. yeah, I don't know. I, I just think with this Edmonton Oilers team, I, they don't, I don't know about them as a team as a whole. I don't feel like beyond having Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl, you're the two best centers, two of the best centers in this league. Like there's nothing about this team that screams. All right, they're going for it. Okay. They're, they're, they're really going to push to be that team. That's going to make it into the playoffs. They might miss again. And that defensive court looks a little slow to me. They they they're they're age too. I don't know. I I don't know what to make of it. Yeah, it's funny because I actually really like what they did in terms of their forwards. I mean, with Zach Hyman, certainly they're going to get into trouble. I think with the sixth and seventh year there, 
but I don't think there's any question that he's going to help what is a top nine that really, really needs some help. So with Zach Hyman, Warren Fogle, who is a very underrated player who I think is going to fit in perfectly on one of those top two lines and bringing in potentially Dylan Holloway, who is their number one pick from two years ago. I think Dylan Holloway is ready now. And if you add those three players into the top nine, into the 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 orbit of Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl and Ryan Nugent Hopkins, Kaylor Yamamoto, I mean, I feel like they got something cooking there in terms of their forward lines. I think they're almost there, especially with Derek Ryan being their fourth line center. Pretty strong through the middle of the ice with Connor McDavid, Leon Dreisaitl, potentially Nugent Hopkins and Derek Ryan. So while I love what they're doing up front, maybe not love, but I like I, I thought they were very productive on yeah. uh, in this offseason. The back end just kind of ruins it, plus the goaltending, right? Yeah. Wasn't there 14 <laughs> goaltenders moved on the first day of free agency? And there was a huge goaltending carousel last year in free agency. And yet Mike Smith and Miko Koskinen remain the Oilers goaltenders. It's really remarkable that Seattle can be around for nine days and have a better goaltending, well, much better goaltending, but make the splash that Edmonton hasn't been able to make. It, it is it is really crazy that they are banking on those two goaltenders in the Connor McDavid era. But they're also banking on that defense core. And you're right. Huge question marks with Duncan Keith. We know Cody Cece is a very, very flawed defenseman. Maybe he can be pretty good as a third-pairing guy, but you paid him to be a second-pairing guy. Tyson Berry, very strong with Darnell Nurse in terms of, well, his power play numbers were great. He really got a lot better from a five-on-five perspective playing with Darnell Nurse, but he can't do that by himself. So he's tied to Darnell Nurse, who might have to go out and play 30 minutes a night based on this defense core right now. So I don't know if there's room to do anything else. Evan Bouchard certainly is going to have to take a major step and be a factor for this team. But I just worry that all the positives that that they've done or the, all the positives that they've been able to sort of manufacture this offseason is just going to be undone by what they've got on defense. Yeah, I don't know. I feel like with the way that you, you nailed on the head with the way their back end looks. And just going back to goaltending here, like they could have gotten like a James Reimer and that would have been a big upgrade to to their goaltending at least. Even not as a starter, but just like making that a little better, for example. Or Martin Jones even. There are just options out there that I think are just better than having Nico Koskinen and Mike Smith. And while Mike Smith did have himself a decent last season, I don't know. I think there's some there's some trepidation on on having him on a, on a multi-year deal. Like, I, I'm not sure about that. So while you're right with the way the forwards look, I, I just think with the, everything else on the back end, like, if I'm an Oilers fan, I don't know if I'm necessarily feeling as confident in this team as I should be. But we could all ultimately be proven wrong. Didn't Darcy Kemper make all the sense in the world? I mean, yeah. Arizona is literally opening themselves as a storage unit for other teams this this season. They are just welcoming bad contracts. Miko Koskinen has one of the worst contracts in terms of goaltenders. You can trade that with a high pick, probably a first rounder. That's what it's going to cost you. And get a goaltender who could potentially play on Canada's Olympic team this winter in Darcy Kemper. Instead, he sticks around. And I don't know if Arizona was just... Uh, clairvoyant as as they could possibly be, but they waited around with this Kemper asset, waited for Colorado to lose their Vesna-nominated goaltender, and were able to get two premium assets in Connor Timmons and a first-round pick. It worked out beautifully for Bill Armstrong, who's kind of putting on a clinic in terms of teardown, but uh, we won't give him too much credit because it's far easier to tear down than build up. So 
Uh, yeah, still questions for Edmonton, and and it's uh, you know we're not gonna have any answers, I don't think, because they seem to be pretty much done. Anyway, um, next team on that list is the Dallas Stars. Now they're only really on this list because they went out and acquired Braden Holpe. Now Ryan Suter is also an acquisition. Yanni Hockenpah. So they've sort of filled the the hole left by Jamie Alexiak with two potentially, uh, top, maybe not top four, but guys that are going to play on that right side and play major minutes in Suter and Hockenpah. But they're on this list because they went out and got Holpe, and now they have four capable goaltenders with Ben Bishop, who is injured, Anton Kadobin, Jake Ottinger, and now Braden Holpe. So what's the plan if they have four goaltenders, even if Ben Bishop is not going to be able to play, like, why get Holpe when you have Anton Kudobin and Jake Ottinger? I'm not really sure about that, to be honest with you. I mean, it's good to have goaltending depth just in case something happens, I guess. But the quality of goaltenders between Kudobin, Bishop, and, and Holpe, those are all guys who want time. And Ettinger, too, is a relatively younger guy compared to those guys as well. He's going to want time as well. Uh, mm-hmm. So, yeah, I don't, I don't really know unless the Dallas Stars have some idea to offload one of those pieces for – assets that has to be it and it's not gonna be hopefully since they just got him so I, I, between ben bishop or anton udobin I, I think the dallas stars might want to offload one of them it can't be to seattle at this point but maybe somewhere else just to get assets that's what it has to be you can't just have May- four maybe edmonton maybe edmonton <laughs> hey that might be an idea you train <laughs> who knows but no i i don't see why you have those caliber goaltenders all four of them under the save Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com and not make a move it doesn't make Mm -hmm. sense no uh i'm gonna keep scratching my head on that one and i'm also scratching my head with the minnesota wild so obviously they made huge headlines by buying out zach parise and ryan Suter, and it makes sense i guess in some ways i think buying out parise made a lot of sense Suter maybe a little less because there was clearly a market for ryan Suter. dallas ended up getting him but it seemed like there was a ton of interested parties in the veteran right shot defenseman. but they do it because they want to compete this season they clearly understand that there's some serious cap ramifications in years two three and four so this year it seems for the minnesota wild so so important and yet the only thing they've done and this isn't just a free agency thing the only thing they did through the expansion draft and all, all the and the NHL drafts and all these different events where you can add to your team, the only thing they've really done 
in this all-important season where you've pushed all your chips into the middle of the table because you know you can't compete next year and the year after that and the year after that is add Goligoski, Alex Goligoski. This isn't the move that puts them over the top. This isn't the move that even validates getting rid of Ryan Suter. What are the Minnesota Wild doing? This isn't even, hey, we re-signed Kirill Kaprizov. Yeah, they haven't even done that yet. They haven't even done that yet. Like, they should handle that business and and see about adding some other pieces first. Unless they somehow have some wild deal, pun intended, where they flip Kaprizov over to Buffalo for Jack Eichel, among other assets. Which even then, like, Mm -hmm. I don't know if that necessarily solves everything, considering what their salary gap issues will look like in the next few years. Um, yeah, I think with Minnesota and, and the the buying out of Parise and Suter and what with the with the penalty, well, not penalties, but the salaries will look like as a result of buying out those two players. There is a bit of an urgency to try to make the most out of this year before you're pretty much going to be stuck in gap hell over these next few years. But Alex Goligoski, I'm with you. That's not going to be enough at all. And also, again, sign Kirill Kaprizov. Yeah. And trade for Jack Eichel, for God's sake. I mean, if you're going to make those moves... <laughs> You gotta. It's gotta be worth go it for, for it. some. Like, like you have to. You have to go for it this year because you're gonna be non-competitive in the next in the three years after that. Uh, I mean, Jack. If they got Jack Eichel, it'd still be a big problem because all of a sudden you'd be in the depths of cap hell because you've added ten point five million dollars. But if you don't add money this year, what was the point in all of it? Uh, it's a real head scratcher for me. I don't know. Um, in terms of teams that got worse. I think Colorado, the President's Trophy winners, have to be considered in that group. I mean, they lost a lot. We've mentioned Philip Grubauer, their Vesna-caliber goaltender, but they also lost Brett Saad today. He went to the St. Louis Blues. Patrick Nemeth, Pierre-Edouard Belmar. Connor Timmins went in the Darcy Kemper deal. Ryan Graves went a couple weeks ago. Jonas Donskoy in the expansion draft. They've lost like a good 20-25% of their normal roster. They did add Darcy Kemper, who I think will be just as good as Grubauer in the position that he's going to be in. They got Darren Helm and Curtis McDermott, who I don't think is really of any consequence. But this this doesn't portend great things for the Colorado Avalanche, who we thought were going to have this really extended window. And all of a sudden, it looks like it's sort of closing a little bit. Yeah, and when you consider the fact that at some, well, I don't remember specifically how long until they have to deal with Nathan McKinnon's salary, but the urgency to try to fit in as much as you can before you realize, crap, we have to pay him the money that he's owed as a top three player in this league. It, mm-hmm. Yeah, that window is close. I mean, that window, that particular window of opportunity is closing. If you have Nathan McKinnon, that window is still going to be extended. But in terms of the way the salary is right now, you only have so much time. But I, I mean, while I do think that they did lose a lot of blood, they especially lost a lot of their secondary characters. The fact that they were able to keep Gabriel Landeskog is a really big thing for them. And I think if they had lost them, they would have been a team for the worst. Losing Brandon Saad will hurt a little bit, especially going to St. Louis. But losing Gabriel Landeskog would have been way worse for this organization. Plus the fact that they were able to add Darcy Kemper and net, they can at least rely on a decent goaltender. I still look at them as a contending team for next year. I mean, it's too soon for me to pick who's going to win the Stanley Cup at this point. But I still look at them as a team that I'm expecting them to go far with the core that they have. And with the time still left in free agency, they could still fill out those bottom pieces to make themselves into a compend- to a team that will continue to contend into next season. 
Yeah, I don't think it's panic mode yet. I think it was briefly panic mode, though, for Joe Sackick, who immediately coughed up a guy like Connor Timmons, who we heard in previous trade chatter, he didn't really want to part with this guy, but he decided to do it in order to get his goaltender. And it looks like, okay, it, Grubauer's decision literally cost them two assets, but there is one benefit, and that's the fact that Darcy Kemper is earning about half as much as Philip Grubauer. I think it's $3.5 million for one more year. So that gives them a little bit more wiggle room. And they do have about 7 to $9 million in cap space, it looks like. And I think they got to go out and use it at the best of their ability right now. Because as much as they locked up Gabriel Landeskog and they've got Nathan McKinnon for a couple more years, they've got Burakovsky, Kadri, Dakushkin. They're all coming off the books next summer. So they've got to find a way to get inject that talent that they lost immediately because you don't want to take this step back because the natural step back is coming next summer. And then, as you mentioned, Nathan McKinnon eventually, I believe, in two more years, two, yeah. is two summers away from unrestricted free agency. So they've got to find a way to make best use of this year. I think Darcy Kemper at 3.5 is a pretty useful tool in getting and achieving that, more so than... Grubauer potentially at $6 million. So we're going to have to see some movement from them. Maybe they're going to have to trade more assets off in, to, in, in order to get those pieces in place. But it, we shouldn't close the book yet on Colorado. They just have to have a more productive summer than maybe they thought they were going to have, or they're going to have to work a little bit more and spend a little less time at the cottage in order to accomplish that. Cottage? Okay. I haven't been at a cottage in a long time. Cottage? Yeah. I mean, it's the one safe... The one safe COVID activity. I mean, both of us clearly don't have a cottage, but uh, I'm pretty sure Joe Sackick has someone. You to don't go have a cottage? Else. I would have thought you had a cottage. No cottage. No cottage. Damn. No. All right. No. I'd love to have some sort of property in Vancouver, and we've got a couple new players who are going to be in the market, real estate market in Vancouver, because Vancouver was very, very busy. I will run through it quickly and then you're going to explain to me what just happened because, as I mentioned before, this is the one that really has my head spinning. So, before we even started free agency, they lost Nate Schmidt, traded him away. But they added Connor Garland, Jason Dickinson, Oliver Ekman Larson, and they got rid of all their problems in terms of wasted money in their forward group. Then, free agency begins and they go out and get Tucker Pullman, a very limited right shot defenseman. Luke Shen, a very limited right shot defenseman. Nick Patan, Yaroslav Halak as their backup, taking the place of um, Braden Holpe. Holpe. And then they kept Brandon Sutter and Travis Hamanuk, who is another pretty limited defenseman. So is this a net positive? I don't even know what's happening with Vancouver. I know their defense looks pretty bad. Uh, someone made the joke that uh, Tyler Toffoli of the Montreal Canadiens is sending uh, these envelopes to the NHL office for seeing about how to schedule more games between the Canadians and the Canucks. <laughs> yeah. um, I'm still just kind of, you know what? I don't necessarily hate the Connor Garland deal. I think he's gonna he's a really solid addition for the Canucks. And they were say so the fact that you, pre- you the fact that you called it a Car- Connor Garland deal means that like. Yeah, he's the asset there, but Ekman Larson, <laughs> maybe not so that much. That money, man, that money. Here's the thing, like, realistically, like, he might not be so washed up in the interim where he could still at least produce in the in the, in the first year or two, but 
that's a lot of money for Oliver Ackman Larson, man. And the Canucks are just going to have to eat that, which I guess they're saying that they'd rather eat that particular salary as opposed to having just one more year of Louis Erickson, Jay Beagle, and I, I forget what other asset was, was dealt the way, but like Antoine then, yeah. Roussel. Antoine yeah. Roussel. Um, they, they better hope OEL is useful because if he's just that anchor down there for that Canucks team, that's just going to hold them back. And this is a team with that core, which I know I've raved about in this podcast and on Yahoo, uh, that they need to be at a point where they could take that next step and turn themselves into a true contender. There should be no reason why they're not able to be a perennial playoff team. And if the secondary players around them are the anchors that are holding them back, that's a damn shame. So you better hope that OEL can at least play something for this Canucks team. But other than that, like, I don't know what to make of these other, like, I mean, the Nate Schmidt thing is pretty disappointing considering they, they made the move to get him last off season. Clearly it doesn't work out and they have to offload him. Uh, and the rest of their defense, it looks a little suspect, actually. They also lost Alex Adler as well. It looks it looks suspect, kind of similar to what we were talking about with Edmonton, where their forwards look good, but their defense isn't as strong on paper. Their forwards look really good. Like uh, It really changes that dynamic. Just adding that extra player in Connor Garland, it, it just looks like it's going to – and Jason Dickinson as well. I mean, yeah. it just – it kind of flows, man. I like what I see from their top nine, even into their fourth line now that they don't have all those boat anchors. I mean, their fourth line looks like it can be pretty utilitarian as well. So I, I kind of like what they're doing from a forward perspective. I think they're going to be a dangerous team. And that's sort of the theme in the Pacific Division is that, yeah, there's a lot of talent out there, but it looks like it's going to be a lot of feasting for those forwards because there's not too many high-quality defensive cores except maybe with the two most recent franchises that came in with Vegas and Seattle. But you're right. The defensive core is, it's sketchy. Uh, Oliver ekman Larson, I, I, I do feel like he will be able to pre- improve his performance a little bit because obviously the situation helps him playing a little bit behind Quinn Hughes not being the number one guy anymore. And yeah. of course, the surroundings in Arizona weren't all that friendly. However, Jacob Chikrin starred for Arizona and in that situation and Oliver Ekman Larson did not. And I think maybe there was some attitude issues. Maybe he just, he, you know, he wasn't putting 99% out on the ice every night because he wanted to move and he didn't want to be in Arizona anymore. Um, but he's got a lot to prove and he's got a big money contract that he's got to live up to. And it's not going to be easy, easy because his skills, it seems have diminished. So Vancouver, I mean, they're going to be fun to watch. They could be involved in a lot of high-scoring games, and I like that, but uh, I'm sure the uh, the talk radio and all the controversy that seems to be surrounding that team in social media spaces will continue to churn and rage all summer long. The negativity uh, from those fans, right? That's what's going oh, around man. there? And, 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 and the players don't want to go to Vancouver because of all that negativity? That's what's being said? That's the three-headed monster out there, man. The fans, the team... And the media, they're just constantly <laughs> at each other's throats. It's unbelievable. Jeez. And that's just the broadcast. Uh, no, nah, I'm kidding. Yeah, exactly. But anyway. Uh, okay. The bad and the good. Which one do you want to go with first? Uh, let's go with the bad. Let's start with good. Let's do, let's do weird. And then I say bad or good. I think I said bad. Bad. And then we'll end off with the good. 
Okay, you want to. The good is is sort of like uh, it's subjective, so you can throw any good in there you want. I've like I've got that. a couple. There, I got a couple that I've outlined that I liked, but uh, the bad is objectively bad. The bad is the Carolina Hurricanes, and the bad is the Montreal Canadiens. Now you are the expert in all things Montreal, so there's, you know, there's bad in terms of roster, and there's bad in terms of publicity and decision making yeah. and all that. So Montreal loses Phil Deneau. Objectively bad. It's a it's a difficult blow for multiple reasons. They also lose Corey Perry. They've added David Savard. They've added Mike Hoffman, who is sort of a character problem in his own right, but we'll give him a pass because, you know, it's a long time ago. Maturity happens, hopefully. Cedric Paquette as well um, in the addition category. But the real story, and we haven't really dove into it yet, just on timing, is Logan Mayu and the decision to draft him, the decision to defend that draft, the inability to justify the draft when grilled and interrogated about it, and then Jeff Molson's decision to uh, release a statement during the frenzy of noon, one, two o'clock, whenever it was, when everybody else was preoccupied with the signings that were happening throughout the league. So generally, open the floor. The take from you on the Montreal Canadiens as it stands right now. In addition to the statement released by Jeff Molson uh, in the midst of the free agent period, a press conference, including what, not several, selected uh, media mm. members. Arpen Bassu wrote about it and said there were seven handpicked members of the media in that conference, himself included. The Montreal Gazette was excluded, TSN 690, which is a rights holder for. Uh, games on the radio excluded. Radio Canada, uh, the French side of CBC, was excluded. Uh, there's some other outlets as well. Um, SB Nation's Habs Eyes on the Prize was excluded. Uh, I think I might have already mentioned the Montreal Gazette. Uh, I know mm -hmm. personally I did not have access to it, but the fact that Arpin, and I, I'm willing to bet Marc-Antoine Godin was there as well, you could say the Athletic was represented. I think between that, the announcement, and all the media stuff after the pick. So that's Mark Bergevin speaking after the fact. The 21-second silence from Trevor Timmons. Uh, I think the Canadians, whether or not you feel that Logan Mayu is deserving of a second chance or not, for the record, I think if he earns it, it does the work to do it, he could get it. But I think mm -hmm. the Canadians ultimately, they sent the bad message by saying that you know, even if you have the transgression, even if you feel that you need to take whatever time off to mature yourself or get better, we're going to take you anyway, because hockey at the end of the day is what really matters, which mm. I don't know. I it, I think for a lot of fans, it was really hard to, to reason with. But I also think what I've also seen from the last few days from fans is a lot of apathy. And I think that is what kind of hits me the most here. Like the fact that a lot of people are, are putting up the fact that, oh, why is the media caring about this story so much? Why are we throwing stones as much as we are at Logan Mayu? Why are we going at the Canadians the way that we are? Weren't you a teenager? Didn't you make mm -hmm. mistakes? Like, I'm sure we've all made mistakes, but consequences come as a result of making mistakes. And you have to work through those consequences to warrant getting a second chance or to warrant, you know, your apology being accepted. And while Logan Mayu, you know, 
I understand why you'd want to give him the benefit of the doubt for, you know, putting himself in a position where he could earn that second chance. The Montreal Canadiens tried to fast track that process and it's not a good look. And the way they tried to respond in light of it was also not a good look. Um, They were ready to have him at training camp up until the Jeff Molson statement released on Wednesday, which I think would have undid a lot of what Logan Mayu, sincere or not, would have tried to do with that statement saying not to draft him. So, yeah, I, I think the Canadians get a big thumbs down for how they handled the Logan Mayu thing. I'll reiterate that if Logan Mayu puts himself in a position where he's willing to learn about what he did wrong, he sufficiently apologizes to the victim because as we read in The Athletic, it didn't seem as if he did. If he puts in the work, then he's willing to apologize. I don't think it's right that, like, you know, you just say sorry and you just say, all right, well, I did my sorry, like, apo- like apology accepted. No, you should do the work and 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 earn your second chance. But the Canadians mm-hmm. tried to sidestep past all of that, and it left a lot of bad taste in a lot of people's mouths. And between that and seeing a lot of people try to defend the Canadians and, and try to come at media members like myself and Arpin and people on the French side as well, uh, Jessica Resnick on the English side too, the Montreal Gazette as well, Stu Cowan. There's a lot of people over the last few days who have been subjected to a lot of comments of people saying they don't care about this. Like, it's kind of weird and it's kind of sad to see, honestly. There's a lot. Uh, it's really tough. It's It's been really tough. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it was. I mean, you nailed it. Um, but the one, th- like the one thing that stuck out to me is it's naive to think that Logan Mayu or Mayu, um, his decision to come out was not of his own self interest and say, "Do not draft me." This is because he understands that he did something terribly wrong and he deserved to not only suffer some consequences from that, but rehabilitate himself. I think he recognized that from a maybe completely genuinely but at least from the self-interest side where you know this is what i have to do to get to where i want to be right so maybe a little naive to think that it was only that his reconciliation was completely on his accord and he truly believed that he didn't deserve to play hockey for the montreal canadians or in the montreal canadians organization next year but what happened when montreal selected him is that he based they basically told logan mayu or mayu that you don't have to go through all that. You don't have to get better. You don't have to improve yourself because we value you as a hockey player and that's what's most important. And while saying that, they basically told the victim that she does not matter even in the slightest. So the result of this should be that the that the Habs renounced their draft pick and so on and so forth. But that's just probably not going to happen. You mentioned the apathy. If it wasn't for that apathy maybe we would get to that point. And that's why it is important to keep talking about it. It is important for people like yourself and Arpon and everyone you mentioned to keep talking about it, right? Yeah. But the apathy is interesting that you mentioned that because I don't really sense that, but you have a very different perspective in terms of who you're listening to. The people that I follow in in the Montreal Canadian circle are pretty much calling for that, calling for the the heads of the Montreal Canadiens and demanding that they make the right decisions here. I'll clarify um, that. I'll say this. The media, and I was actually going to probably do this near the end. I don't know if we're still going to do tire bumps because I oh, think yeah. what was really surprising, well, not really surprising, but the first thing I was surprised about was from the Mark Bergevin presser, like no one tried to softball him at all about the Logan Mayu pick. 
Like everyone was like, well, why did you make this pick? Like, mm-hmm. did you not see the statement? Like everyone, a lot of people pounded him. Yeah. It only took That's until, what I like, saw. I, yeah, but, and that's from the media. What mm-hmm. what I think in terms of what I've what I the, the other side of the people who are saying like, "Oh, well, why are you guys doing this?" That's the fans. That's not right. media. It's the fans. There was like one guy who write who wrote for uh sorry, my English. He wrote he writes Look at me again. I'm flustered by this. This guy writes for a local community paper. And he right. tried to write a piece that would hopefully, as he said, balance out the coverage on Logan Mighty. Because this person felt that a lot of people from mainstream media were just unnecessarily pouncing on the guy. One, I didn't agree with his take. Two, he described the Logan Mayu incident as just sexting. Which that's not that's not sex thing at all. So this person no. got a take wrong and also didn't explain properly what had happened. So the fact that that story stuck out, sorry, stood out, that was like like wow, really? It took us like almost a whole week before I found a whole like take that just wasn't good. I can't even go towards like the Journal de Montréal, which sometimes has a lot of like really bad stuff. No disrespect to my colleagues there uh, about the slogan Mayu thing. And I was really surprised at how universally panned it was from the mainstream media side but in the videos that i did for for hockey and set up for the montreal gazette like we did a whole episode where we we touched off on the logan mayu thing and it even went into some tony d'angelo talk and if you go through the comments on that it's just like you guys aren't level-headed i got called punk i got told to calm down and stuff Mm -hmm. Uh, like a lot of comment sections and stuff too uh Stu Cowan I'll mention him again for the Montreal Gazette like he's seen some of the same stuff as well it's not the media that uh is trying not to care about the Logan Mayu thing I think they've gone in overabundance over this and it's a good thing it's the fans for whatever reason and not every fan because there are some fans who uh have have been vocal about how bad of a decision this was for the Canadians but there's a lot of them too who are just like well who cares like he's a good player and that's what's really weird. And that's a huge problem in all of this. I get it if you feel that Logan Mayu should be able to get a second chance. And like I've said before, if he puts in the work, there's a chance he could get that second chance. But for people to just kind of be like, well, well, what do you care uh, about this? Or say you're a hypocrite. What about these other players in the NHL with their transgressions? What about mm-hmm. and like like the 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 jumping through hoops that a lot of people have done? That's been super frustrating. And like honestly, like I like I try to like just take a break from just like looking at that stuff on social media because that could just mess with your head. So yeah, yeah. Uh, to clarify that essentially, I know I kind of rambled a lot, but that's the, it's the it's a lot of the fans who have done that, and I still think they should take a look at themselves and realize like what consent is, and and the fact that their takes on this are wrong and they're not comfortable to reckon with. Yeah, I mean, my, Mayu is not the only one that has to look at themselves, and he's going to be the only one that's forced to because the people that are in the comments section do not have to. Their their careers are not on the line. They could talk all they want in those comments sections. But right now it is on Mayu because the Montreal Canadiens took away that natural process that he was going to have to take in order to rehabilitate himself and prove that he can be a functioning member of the NHL, or at least one that they would be proud to put an NHL sweater on. But it is still his responsibility. So let's see the receipts. Let's see the work. Let's see him earn his 
way into a contract with the Montreal Canadiens. I'm not saying Montreal is going to hold that until he does what you know X, Y, and Z, but it, it should be on the kid to do that. And I, I kind of get the feeling that he will do that because of all the heat that is on him, uh, and justifiably so. Maybe that's the optimist talking to me and hoping that he gets to that point, but I believe that this is as big of a learning moment as you could possibly get for a kid his age, right? And it's on him and it's on his family to start moving this in the right direction because the Montreal Canadiens are just not going to help him do that. Um, From one bad story to another, one bad PR moment to another, not even moment, I mean, this is a several moments here, but the Carolina Hurricanes are in the bad column as well. There are hockey reasons. They lost Dougie Hamilton. They traded for Ethan Bear and traded away Warren Fogle. They lost Petr Mrazek. They think they they lost James Reimer. Either way, yeah. they got Antti Ranta and, and uh, Freddie Anderson. So the goaltending completely different. They added Ian Cole. I mentioned they got Bear, but to really uh, to uh, replace Dougie Hamilton is the word I'm looking for. They went out and got maybe the worst human hockey in hockey in Tony D'Angelo. Um, Why? This, this is as, this is as curious decision as possible. And, and people at your shop, the athletic Sarah Sivian in particular have written some great things about this incident and, or not incident, this decision uh, sort of giving the context of how this is a mom and pop shop. This is a team that you feel a connection with beyond just, you know, I grew up here, I was born here, so I cheer for this team like we would see in Toronto and Montreal, respectively. There is a connection in a market like Carolina that is deeper than that, where you identify with the people that work there. You you are very sewn within the fabric of the franchise, more so than just being born into it. You've chosen this family. And when the family that you chose brings in someone like Tony D'Angelo, who, check it off, he is, Right. Whatever you, whatever bad thing or whatever thing that you would not impart onto your children, Tony D'Angelo seems to be, right? So they've made this decision to not only bring him in, but to defend him and his reputation because really what we think is that he's a much cheaper version of the player that they lost in Dougie Hamilton. Unfortunately, it looks like it's coming down to dollars and cents, and that's what we've sort of come to expect with Tom Dundon, but this, even this, wasn't worth the price they're paying, right? Yeah, I I don't get it, man. Uh, I was trying to, I was talking about this again with Stu Cowan on, on, on from the Gazette about this, and I was trying to understand, like, what is the appeal with Tony D'Angelo? And while he, I, 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 I get through statistics, like he, he had that one good season with the Rangers, but he's proven to be such a headache. And like, he's not why, that good. Why? I think that, like, he's not Dougie Hamilton. I, we we, should, we no. should say this. He's coming into a place, but he's not Dougie Hamilton. He's not even close. Not. They're not in the same leagues. No, well, he's not like, like, he, he's not a winner. He's, he's not this, like, top five or top 10 puck moving defenseman. Like, like they, they exist. I get that finding good ones, it's very hard to do, but they exist out there. Like, you can go out to different teams and, and, and find some. I don't know why Tony D'Angelo had to be the guy. And to go back on, on him being a headache, like, I don't know why with what he did in New York, what everything he's done to this point up to this point, like, like why would you want him on your team? I think what's also a little concerning as well is, I mean, I don't know if you saw what, what Sarah Sivian was, 
I think you mentioned Sarasota before, but like the fact that mm-hmm. it seems as if, well, Tony D'Angelo is trying to explain that he's changed. I don't know if I believe that. And I don't know if the Don, Don Waddell, the general manager out there was trying to echo those sentiments as well. I need to see more than just you saying you've changed as far as I'm concerned. I, I don't yeah. know if that's sufficient for me. So yeah, this was just a really head scratching move to be honest with you. I mean, I mean, I shouldn't make this connection, but I believe more in the rehabilitation of Logan Mayu than I do of Tony D'Angelo. Tony D'Angelo has been around and playing hockey for 10 plus years. Logan Mayu, as you mentioned, is a teenager that made a mistake, a bad mistake and a mistake that he has to atone for. But I think he's still got room to grow as a person. Tony D'Angelo is past that. Is he not? He's been bad. He's been bad in junior. He's been bad. He's been like this. He's been like this for more than he's been like this his entire life. Right. And he grew up into that. There's been videos circulating of his father's comments. I mean, it just seems like he's a guy who is comes from a lineage that is not very welcoming to people that aren't themselves. Let's just say that. Uh, and it led to a pretty remarkable moment where Greg Wyshynski of ESPN asked Tony D'Angelo if he supported the insurrection at the Capitol. Like, it's it's incredible that that was asked to a player uh, in an NHL press conference or Zoom meeting, I guess. But, I mean, it's just led to these, like, <laughs> moments that are just like, you couldn't even believe that actually happened. And it's because this guy is so, so out of this world with his beliefs, which are beliefs that belie what the NHL... I, I don't want to say it's what they are... It's what... It's not what they believe in their hearts, maybe but it's what they're trying to get to in terms of an organization that does the right things in terms of social issues and all that. Like it is against the grain to the extent that is just not even acceptable. And I I think you'd be naive to believe that we're not going to get more issues around Tony D'Angelo because he cannot help himself. When people show you who they are, believe them the first time. I think that's the last thing I'll say about uh, Mr. D'Angelo who at every turn, again, has proven to not necessarily be a mature person, a respectful person, and has proven to be a distraction, you know? Mm-hmm. So if if Carolina wants that headache at a cheaper price than what it would have taken to to, to keep uh, Ducky Hamilton, it's your funeral. Yeah, uh, a team that built up a lot of goodwill was sort of the second, third favorite team of a lot of people. I think are going to lose some of that momentum here. And I think they're just flat out not going to be as good of a team because Tony D'Angelo is probably not going to play for his teammates. His teammates are probably not going to play for Tony D'Angelo. And a lot of the storm surging, bunch of jerks, atmosphere and vibes that they were creating over there might just go by the wayside. And that might, you know, it was a bad off season. It's been a bad couple weeks, I think, for Carolina just on the whole. But uh, I think it's only going to get worse, and that's a shame because that was one of the more fun teams to watch. Uh, yeah, let's go to the good. Let's go to the good. Let's uh, the I good. wrote, I wrote down three teams that I thought had a particularly good twenty-four hours in free agency, mm-hmm. and that was the Boston Bruins, the Seattle Kraken, and maybe not twenty-four hours, but Arizona has done a really nice job doing what Seattle probably should have done over the last couple weeks. They're basically just deciding that they want to be an expansion team and they're just tearing it down to the studs and getting the picks and prospects that they need to one day be competitive. Um, Did you have any other teams that you liked what they did or do you want to just dive into uh, 
Boston, Seattle, and maybe to a lesser extent, Arizona. I don't think there's much to say about Arizona other than the fact that they've done a really good job uh, tearing down. So uh, we didn't get into the moves from Montreal, but I, I realize they're in the bad, and a big reason why they're in the bad is because of the Logan Mayu decision. Mm-hmm. But maybe this is unpopular. I kind of like what the Canadians ended up doing. I know David okay. Savard okay. might not necessarily... I know David Savard at like a little over $3 million. I think there are worse overpayments that they could have done, but I think he fits the style on defense that the C wants to do. He's clearly going to fit in as a second pairing defenseman. Um, Mike Hoffman, I get he could be a bit of a one-trick pony, but I think... They need a guy like Hoffman. They need a guy like Hoffman. And he's an upgrade on on Thomas Tatar up front. Uh, He might be a top-line guy. He might be a second-line guy. But that's a guy who I think is they needed a scoring winger, and they could check off that box. Uh, Cedric Paquette, uh, I think he'll just be like a a bottom-line guy. Uh, Might even get in and out of the lineup depending on how Ryan Paling progresses into next season. Um, And in terms of losing Philip Deneau, while I think he was an integral part to that team, he did an amazing job in the postseason. You got to remember, he signed for like a little over $5.5 million in LA. And he wants yep. to be more of a scoring option in with the Kings. I mean, with what he's shown in Montreal with, with regards to scoring, I think a lot left to be desired with this player. I think the Kings mm-hmm. will very much miss his defensive output. That line with him, Thomas Tatar, and Brendan Gallagher, unfortunately, will, I mean, it will no longer be. It was one of the better ones at five on five. So the Canes, I think, will miss that. But at that price tag, I mean, I hope he's able to put up some points and do all those other things well in L.A. Or who knows how they'll feel about that contract. But I think the Canadians, if they're able, I mean, I think at this point now, they have to get themselves another center to really replenish themselves at that position. But I I think at that price for for Phil Deneau, I understand why there was some hesitancy. So other than that and losing Corey Perry, I thought the Canadians' moves were okay. I don't know if they're – I know they're going to clearly look different. I know they could probably use another move to – they could probably use another move to to help them out in the leadership department. I also still think that they're holding out to see if that Jack Eichel price comes down and they put themselves firmly in the sweepstakes. I mean, Mark Bergevin was already making calls to Kevin Adams. I think they put themselves in there, and maybe it means they have to move the Asperic, Kakanyemi, some first-round picks – and even more to make that happen. But I think they're waiting in the weeds for that move. But I'm not... Yeah, I don't think for those moves they should be in the bad. I think for Logan Mayu they're in the bad. But I I didn't necessarily have a problem with adding... with the Canadians adding David Savard and and Mike Hoffman. Okay, that's fair. Uh, They're obviously taking a step back with Phil Deneau leaving, but it does... I mean, it's two birds with one stone in the Jack Eichel conversation because LA was one team that was interested in Jack Eichel, we we thought. And now Phil Deneau goes to L.A. and plays behind Anze Kopitar and in front of Quentin Byfield and Alex Turcotte. I mean, there's not really a need for Jack Eichel in L.A., but there's certainly a need for Jack Eichel in Montreal. And with the money opened up from Deneau, the money opened up from Shea Weber, doesn't it make all the sense in the world that Montreal would aggressively pursue Jack Eichel right yeah. now? I think so. The only thing I think would be holding them up in this situation is if Mark Bergevin is willing to part with either Nick Suzuki or Cole Caulfield. Because while I did mention Jesper Kakanyemi's name, 
I don't know if that's necessarily enough for Buffalo to kind of move in on. Right. So I, but at the same time, the longer Buffalo holds on to Jack Eichel, inevitably that price is going to go down. So maybe that's what the Canadians are waiting on here. They wait this out and maybe they don't even have to, they don't even have to move Caulfield or Suzuki to make that happen. So just wait it, just wait it out. I think that's the best strategy because over a half billion dollars was spent in free agency. A lot of the places where Jack Eichel could have gone, committed dollars are going to make that much more difficult. Montreal has those committed dollars, I think, available to them. I haven't quite Mm -hmm. seen their cap friendly, but you just know with Deneau and Perry and Weber leaving, maybe not Perry, but those two guys not being available to Montreal, there's $10 million there. And you're right. The leverage is not with Buffalo any longer. The longer they wait, the less they have in terms of legs to stand on. And I think it could work out perfectly for Montreal. So I guess stay tuned. We talked about coming on potentially in the offseason. Jack Eichel to Montreal would be reason for us to not, you know, leave the cottage because we don't have that option. But uh, I'll be ready to jump on Zoom. Okay. Do you agree with Boston and Seattle as winners then? Yeah, I agree. Um, we were talking about the last podcast. Hey, we should wait it out and see what Seattle does yeah. with their lineup. And I think with with adding Jaden Schwartz, I'm still pretty high on Jaden Schwartz, even though he's kind of tapered off in the last little while. Alex Wenberg, I think, is also a decent player. And Philip Grubauer, I've already mentioned him being a good signing for them. I feel a lot better about the Kraken lineup now than I did about a week ago. I don't know if they're completely done, but I, I think they're a team that at least they could try to at least be a team that's that's tough to play against and could challenge for a playoff spot out of that division. I feel a lot better with this with the roster as it is now compared to what it was after the expansion draft happened. So I don't mind them being there. And I like Boston being there because while they might not be at the same echelon as a Colorado or a Tampa Bay or a Vegas, they're still a competitive team. They're still yeah. a team that I think it's not a surprise to see them get to the second or third round of a Stanley Cup playoff. So they make the final, then you're like, well, geez, the perfection line and some of the other pieces were able to bring them there. And I know you didn't necessarily write it down in our notes here, but the fact that they were able to, actually, no, you did. Well, look at that. You, my eyes. Uh, Taylor <laughs> Hall being retained at the salary mm-hmm. that he's at. I mean, and in order to keep him in that secondary scoring role, uh, I think that's 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 what as great of a move as you could make. The only questions yeah. now are if David Krejci and Tuka Rask are going to come back in some way. One of the few teams, right, one of the few established teams that was able to add without giving up really anything. And they were able to add liberally liberally as well. I mean, Taylor Hall for what he signed for, you know, maybe it's not, maybe it's a little richer than we thought it was going to be, but still very, very manageable for the Boston Bruins. They kept the other player they traded for in Mike Riley, and they went out and just paid guys pretty good prices to come in and just support what they have, which is already a very good core Maybe they're missing a little bit on defense still. Maybe there's another move to come. But the fact that they were able to just outbid for Eric Halla and Thomas Nosek and Derek Forbert, probably paying too much to Nick Felino, but you know maybe that will work out. But they also went out and got the successor to Tuka Rask, we think, in Linus Allmark, signing him yeah. to, I think, a four-year deal. Maybe it was a four times five or five times four. Either way, Linus Allmark is probably the goaltender of the future for Boston, and I'm pretty excited for the guy because this guy managed to put up great numbers for one of the worst franchises in the league, clearly, in the Buffalo Sabres, 
and now he gets to play for a potential Stanley Cup contender. Uh, I think this was a brilliant, brilliant first day of free agency for the Boston Bruins, checking off two boxes in strengthening their team now and getting the next goaltender of the future in Linus Allmark for what could be a good price if he's able to repeat what he did under better conditions in Boston. Yep. Hey, if Boston ends up going far this year, I'm not going to say they're going to do it. I'm just going to say I'm not going to be surprised. Again, they're they're may not be at that same echelon as some of those top teams, but they've built themselves a team that they're going to be competitive for quite some time. From a Toronto perspective, I mean, just watching Boston just do whatever they so choose in free agency is pretty remarkable because the hands could not be more tied for Kyle Dubas, who looked as downtrodden as he's ever been in his <laughs> recent uh, media appearances. Like the, the it is it is more than cynical around Maple Leafs land right now. It's it's uh, pretty interesting how things have changed after another colossal failure at the hands of the Montreal Canadiens. Uh, I will mention about the Kraken. You're right. The lineup does look a lot better. Like we were kind of, we were maybe a little quick to criticize because, you know, you don't want to go out and just spend in free agency as an expansion team, you know, too much because you're backing yourself into a corner a bit and mistakes are made on free agency. Let's just be honest. But the fact that they added two legitimate top six players, their forward group almost matches the strength now of their defense. And they went out and got the best goaltender in free agency. So, and they were able to actually do what we wanted them to do, but which was trading an asset they acquired in Vitek Vanacek going back to Washington. So I think you've got to give them credit for what they did uh, in free agency. And I think they're going to be a competitive team in year one, even if we didn't think that was going to be the case right off the bat. Okay, the final tire pump of the 2020-21 season. The inaugural season of the Yahoo Sports Hockey Podcast. I will let you lead the dance. Okay. Uh, I had already mentioned them earlier on, but I think a tire pump, a pitcher of beer, uh, some nachos, pretty much goes out to everyone in Montreal who's been covering this Logan Mayu story and has had to be subjected to idiots in their emails and DMs and mentions and whatnot because this is a very important story. And while there are fans out there who are very apathetic over the entire situation and don't seem to care, I think the fact that the vast majority of, of mainstream media members in Montreal decided to pay close attention to the story and, and, and cover it well, uh, I, think, I think they all deserve full marks. And this isn't me trying to pat myself on the back. I've only just done the appearances on podcasts and video stuff I haven't technically written anything on this but uh, I think for people who want to put themselves I think for people who want to know more about the story there's no shortage of material out there for you to know what's going on with the Logan Mayu story and and yeah I, I think for everyone who's been able to cover this story I, I think they deserve a pat on the back this week and same goes to those who have done a good job criticizing and uh, you know putting putting people on blast that uh, helped bring Tony D'Angelo to Carolina. I think the same thing goes to them. You said a plate of nachos? That sounds about right. Uh, yeah. But my tire pump goes to Penny Alexiak. I mean, yeah. haven't, been haven't been able to watch as much Olympics as I'd like because, you know, we've been pretty busy with this crazy week and a half of hockey news and coverage. But it's also on in the middle of the night, which I just, I just don't like that. 
Anyway, uh, Penny Alexiak is now the most decorated or tied for the most decorated Olympian in Canadian history, I believe, after winning her sixth total medal after a brilliant start to her competition in Tokyo 2020. Uh, she's been swimming a lot, it seems like, every night, and it's actually at a time where, I, where a lot of us can watch because it's in prime time here early in the morning in Tokyo. Um, but she's just been a joy to watch. And there's been other great stories from the pool with Maggie McNeil and Kayla Sanchez. And all. And uh, I'm forgetting the 14-year-old's name. You can help me out here if you got it. Summer McIntosh, she, I think. Summer McIntosh. She led the relay last night. Um, so just a, a joy to watch the women in Tokyo just dominate for Canada. They're up to 10 medals total. All of them won by women. It's time for the men to at least step up a little bit. I mean, we're trying to. We're always trying to see, uh, you know... Bill, we try to build on every Olympics and get better and better and better. And we're not going to do that unless some men win some medals. But shout out to the women, and in particular, the superior Alexiak, Penny Alexiak. Yes, yes, yes. Goat. I think it's the goat. Well, it's, not too, it's not too soon to consider Penny Alexiak the goat, even though she's like 21 years old. She's 21 years old. That's, That's crazy. insane. Uh, and 14, a 14 year old against like world-class athletes in the pool from other countries we're talking like 24 year olds in their athletic prime and she's out there you know not she wasn't the first to the wall but she was i believe third or fourth for canada after her um after her 200 meters i believe it was like that is uh, it is remarkable that a like i don't know what you were doing we were both not doing those things at, at 14 years of age but like I I've like come into contact with 14 year olds in the last like little bit and they're not at a level where they can compete with some of the greatest athletes in the world. Like it takes something remarkably special to be able to do that. So as much as it's the Penny Alexiak show, Summer McIntosh and guess it would be three years might be our star in the pool. And that's always good to have more and more athletes coming up. We just need some of those guys to get going too, because we want to see more medals, right? I mean, yeah, I want to see more people do well at the summer games. You know, Canada gets the reputation of the winter sports and it's where winter Olympics country. Nah, damn it. We got some athletes who could do damn good in the summer games, too. Like, keep it going. And I'm especially happy to see that our women are doing very well. So I'm I'm happy to see Canada do well at these summer games, man, as as weird of the circumstances are with COVID and all that. But still, uh, the games are on and we're doing well with them on. And the Canadian women's soccer team will have their first quarterfinal matchup against Brazil. I guess it's their only quarterfinal matchup as this is now the knockout stage. Me and William Liu at Yahoo Sports have been covering that for our Olympic team. So, uh, you know, we'll break that down. But that was just a shameless plug because, uh, you know, we've been breaking down that team and we want to see them improve on their color of medal because they're back-to-back bronze medalists at the Summer Olympics. Uh, Enough Olympic talk. Enough hockey talk. Let's take a little break, Julian. A little break. Yeah. We deserve yeah. it. It's been fun talking hockey with you all season long. And again, this is not this is not goodbye. It's see you later because we're going to be doing this again. But it's time for the hockey world to shut down a little bit. Uh, we can focus on the Olympics. Then we can take some rest and relaxation. And before we know it, everything will be starting up again. Well, I just want to say it was an absolute pleasure uh, to be able to be on the Yahoo Sports Hockey podcast throughout this past season and kind of go through the season and the ups and the downs and the playoffs and the tire pumps and and all that. And, And I give you full marks for, you know, just being the host that you are. 
and uh, the production team as well. They deserve a lot of praise. Uh, and we had to deal with two producers throughout the year. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you know, shout out to the production team. Shout out to Yahoo. Shout out to everybody who helped make this podcast be as great as it's been all year, man. So, you know, hey, I'm, I'm happy to be here and I'm happy whenever you want me back on the show, man. So I'm, I'm amped. I'm, I'm excited. I'm happy, man. This was this was a good year. Shout out to Chelsea and the production team. She's not going to say hi. She just she do, she just doesn't want to do it. She could surprise me at any moment, but I don't think she'll do it. So we'll have to wait on that. But I'll have you back on the show whenever you want. But you got to promise to have me on Zone Time because that's blowing up big too. I mean, I'll do more than than have you on 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 Zone Time. I might have you on something else in August. But Ooh. let me let me let me let me not let me stop myself there. <laughs> It's okay, we'll to, keep you know zip my mouth up. My bad. That was pretty good. I think people will watching it will really really appreciate that. I, you can keep me on the edge of my seat, and you can keep listeners on the edge of their seat if they have made it this far. But we'll wrap it up here. The last scheduled edition of the Yahoo Sports Hockey Podcast. Thank you for listening, and thank you, Julian, for coming. Peace. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 